to Hilliard Studio Podcast, your resource for everything happening in the Hilliard Studio Method world. Hi, everyone. I'm Liz Hilliard, and welcome to Hilliard Studio Podcast. In this podcast, I will be telling my personal story because I feel our stories as women are important. I hope you'll listen, reflect, and if need be, write or say your own story. We all have one, and in the telling of our stories, we find our truth, our voice, and our power. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Hilliard Studio Podcast. My name is Andy Go. I am the producer of the podcast, and I'm going to be your host for this episode and the next two episodes as part of a three-part series on Liz and Lee of Hilliard Studio Method. One of the things that we wanted to do before the pandemic started was talk about who Lee and Liz are, their backgrounds, their history, and how HSM came to be. So today is the first episode, the first part in our three-part series, and we are talking to the owner of Hilliard Studio Method, Liz Hilliard. Liz, welcome to your own podcast. It's so nice to be a guest on my own podcast, Andy, and I'm really glad that our listeners get to hear you because Andy's been quite helpful to Lee and I in getting this podcast started. And uh, so this will be fun. It's it's fun to talk with you. Kind of miss Lee for a minute, but... uh, Let's do it. Well, we'll have Lee on for the next show. And then on the third episode, we'll have the both of y'all on as well. So your listeners are definitely going to want to stick around and hear the whole story. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start off with this. I want to go back all the way to, to the beginning with your story, Liz. You are a native of Concord, North Carolina. So just right up the street here in Charlotte. Tell me about growing up in Concord. Oh, that's a great story. Well, Concord, as you all know, is about 45 minutes north of Charlotte. It's a small community. It was even smaller when I grew up there. And the only thing I wanted to do about Concord was get out of there. And I did, but I just went down the street a few a few miles. Um, it was a great place to grow up. Um, I grew up, grew up in schools, you know, in the 1960s and 70s and, you know, learned a lot about myself through small town life and the values that I hold today. Uh, the values that, um, sort of have shattered in some ways, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I grew up as a a third child in a family with a 13 year, 13 difference years of my sister. And, uh, my brother was five years older than me. I was the afterthought. So my background in Concord grew up as uh, almost an only child. Now, when you say afterthought, is is that just because you were the youngest? Out of, out of I was the youngest. My mother was, uh, and at this time, she was 36 years old when I was born. And she was probably four or five minutes pregnant before she knew she was pregnant. And that's the back in the day where you smoked and you drank coffee and you did whatever you wanted to do. And she went, oh, I'm pregnant. Wow. I was wondering why I was gaining weight. <laughs> so um, anyway, I was the third of in a family of very, very smart, very, very, um, independent thinkers and being in a small town was fascinating. And so growing up with uh, a sister that was very, very smart, um, and a brother also, and, and a mother and father that had their own independent thinking, there was no, we're doing this, this way or that way. We all had our own, own opinions. So I was young. 
I've said this in my book before, but I did grow up and I received my education at my kitchen table. And I still say that's the most valuable education I've ever received. So you were homeschooled. No, nope, it sounds like it. I went to, I went to public school in Concord. Um, the, I would say the hardest thing I ever did was go to school. I was such an independent sort of free spirited child, little child. There was no whole holes barred. I, I left the house in the morning. Nobody cared or knew where I was going. And I just, I lived my life sort of in a real free way. And so I remember going to school and thinking, what are, what are we doing here? This doesn't make any sense. And I, I had a hard time in school. I thought it was because I was stupid, but I think it was a, a lot more than that. I think, um, I think I was not suited to sit in a classroom <laughs> Yeah. So well, let me ask you this. Was your, the, this freedom that you're describing, mm-hmm. was that because your parents just, they'd already had two kids and they were worn out from that and they were just, you know, kind of laissez-faire with you? Or was it because this philosophical, structural sort of thing that they wanted you to be able to experience life on your own? That's interesting. I think the first part, uh, for, for sure, they were like, I was, I was an afterthought and they, I was loved and well-loved and nurtured in my family. But no, they were not go out and become yourself, Liz. I just was born that way. I I remember my very first memory is being in my um, baby bed. And I couldn't have been more than like two or three. And people always go, oh, you didn't remember that. But I remember the bars and thinking, let me out of here. This is so scary. And I would cry. I remember crying and wanting to be out of my baby bed because I felt so confined. So I've never been, I've always been sort of freedom loving or just freedom. I'm I'm a free spirit. I don't say I'm going to try to be a free spirit. It's just who I am. So I've never really gone along with the conforms of society in every strict way. Uh, I feel like we're all have great inborn talents and knowledge of ourselves. I had it early and I just simply ignored the things that didn't suit me, which you can say that you could say I was stubborn or whatever, but I, I was just... If I didn't think school was important, I just didn't make it important. If I didn't think, you know, going to church or whatever, the best part of going to church for me was learning the Bible stories. The rest of it, you could have it. I mean, I didn't believe anything anybody told me. We, we grew up in this church. I loved it. It was First Baptist Church in Concord. And they got up every Sunday morning and they said, you know, if you go to the movies or if you go to the racetrack or something on Sunday, you will go to hell. And I... I remember thinking to myself, I remember laughing out loud. Wow. So, you know, I'm not sure what kind of a psychological uh, profile you would put on a small child like this, but I never believed anything. I believed what I saw and what I thought and what I felt, mostly what I felt. Did you, uh, can you remember an experience growing up where that contrast between you and this, uh, you know, kind of free will lifestyle clashed with what I'm assuming is probably a very regimented and structured um, society in, in, in Concord at that time. Yes. Um, I mean, and again, this, I have this in the book, the Be Powerful book that I wrote three years ago, but 
I had a real distinct memory from third grade and I, I got through school. I mean, you know, I'm not stupid. You know, I got enough done. But I remember being in the third grade and having a very scary teacher, one of those with the blue hair and the nets. And Ooh. she didn't like me at all. And the ruler. Yeah, and the ruler. Well, she used that ruler on my knuckles pretty much every day as I left. The, she would hold my hand out and slap my my knuckles with her ruler. So that's not just a scary story. No, that, this is for real. Told, okay. This really happened. I mean, this was, night, what, 1963? And um, they still did that in Concord. But the what I remember was being told directly by an, an adult that I would never be anything and that I would probably never get out of the third grade. I mean, that's a big, that's a powerful statement coming from an adult to a seven or eight year old child. And I took it to heart. And so I thought, oh, wow, even though I'm this free spirit, so and so. I thought, but I'm not able to live in this. How am I going to do this? I'm, I'm obviously stupid. So then my new programming was you're stupid. So figure out mm. what else you can do because you're never going to probably get to the fourth grade. You know? Wow. Um, and so she was a big, and I really credit her, uh, fine woman <laughs> in the scariest way. Uh, she, I credit her to my success now. It was so devastating to a child to hear something like that, that I, and I internalized it so deeply that now I'm very conscious of the words I use. I'm conscious of, especially the words I use to people that I may have an influence over, not just children, but adults that are in a vulnerable situation. You know, you watch the words you use. So in this process of kind of discovering yourself, you found that there was that, that this teacher was not the only one who tried to put a limit on who you could be. It sounds like that happened to you throughout uh, well, your formative years. Well, yeah, but I, and also I don't want to put the blame on anybody for any of my life circumstances. So I always look at these these structures and the structure of education in Concord at that time might not have been the best. People like me fell through the cracks. Now, that being said, I did go to college. I did graduate. I mean, I did make C's, but I also had a sister that was on a full ride to Duke. I had a brother, mm. you know, going to Chapel Hill. And so I had a lot of very smart people around me. And so I became the one in the family that what, that the expectations were low. Now, by the way, that is a great place to be, you know? You, well, why is that? Because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who feel like they're in your position or, or the position that you were in where, you know, the, the, they don't have those expectations, not a lot of, of, yeah. of, of the, uh, they're not expected to do a whole lot. So, but then that can be a, a frustrating place to be. It can be an isolated place where you feel like the intentions on everyone else and nobody is really invested in you. Well, that is true. And that is the double-edged sword there. Um, no one was invested in me. Now my family was invested in me. I will give them credit. Um, but my, there was the assumption, but I gotta say there was the assumption that I was not going to do well in school by my family and maybe not by my teachers, but definitely by me. Now, remember that it was also a freedom that I got to go off and do all kinds of things I wanted to like, you know, I, I know that I used, <laughs> gosh, 
did I use that to my advantage? Because I became very, very athletic. I became really great in other things because my physical, my physical self was very powerful. I excelled easily at any sport I played. I ran faster than anybody else. I, you know, I was tall. I was strong. I did really well in, in things like that. And I also excelled in any body thing like dance. Uh, I, re- I remember playing the flute, for instance, things like that in bands and being a majorette and excelling at all those things. But it came down always to teachers and me and maybe, and I'm sure it was just, I froze up. I didn't do well on things like big tests or SATs. And I had a teacher in my, I remember being uh, senior year in high school no, junior year in high school. And I took a psychology class, which I thought was fascinating because now I could try to figure out what, what the heck was going on. And I was doing really well, I thought. I mean, really well. And I, I couldn't wait to get my grades. And I remember going to the teacher conference and she sat me down and said, Liz, um, I think that you, and I was waiting. I was like, yeah, she's going to give me the big old pat on the back. I've been waiting on for what, 11 years in school. She was I believe you need to reconsider going to college. You should probably become an airline stewardess. Wow. And I went, Oh, I mean, when you talk about devastated, then I used that as well. The hell with it. You're right. All I have is my looks. All I have is my athletic talent. I'm just going to be a model. I'm just going to be pretty and I'm going to find some man to marry me and I'm going to be a pretty girl. And I was, you know, <laughs> looking back on it now, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, hindsight is twenty twenty and all that. But how do you think that that limitation uh, affected you at the time versus who at this point, I'm sure you, you know who you are. You know who you are at this point. You're, you're a very much more self-realized person. How did that mentality, this one that had a limit to it, clash with who you really are. I I bought it. At that point, I was six, seven, 16, 17 years old. I bought it. And so when I bought that idea of myself, which said, all you are is a shell, not, not, not a shell. Uh, you'll be very good if you can learn to, you know, be a good housewife or you can be an airline stewardess or a fashion model or whatever you want to be, but it's always going to need to be something that is not to do with smarts because you're not smart. So, but also because I'm a rebel, I haven't brought that up yet. Uh, and I'm, I'm very competitive and I always won in sports. I was, you could not beat me in sports. You could not out jump shot me. You could not out do any of that. I was good. And so I also took it as a challenge sort of, and, and, and I know that's why I'm sitting here today. I never was an in your face, watch me do this in your face kind of person, but I just slowly started to succeed. I found ways that I could succeed, um, in school even, but I knew that I also had to play the, not play the game, but I was going to live the part of my, my goal then was to find the perfect husband, get married, maybe before I got out of college and, you know, just be rich and have, you know, lunch at the country club. That was my goal. Hmm. Yeah. 17. When you say you were a rebel, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I rebelled against any authoritarian, any, any authority 
that came my way. I didn't do it outwardly always. I did it inwardly. I just simply didn't believe it. I never believed reality that they were throwing at me at that point in my life. I didn't believe the reality, even though I was going to live it, that girls were supposed to do this and boys were supposed to do that. I did not, in my heart, believe it, but I shoved all that down. So my rebellious rebelliousness was there and say, playing it out with men, um, flirtatious, uh, sort of using men in, in a way, because I had a lot of skill. I was very skillful. Um, and I was flirtatious and I, you know, I had a lot of great relationships and a lot of some that I shouldn't have had. And, but, and I look back on all of them You can't, when you get to be older, you can look back and the things that I used to be so ashamed of, I'm not ashamed of. I'm pleased that I live to see the other side of certain relationships with men or certain selves, like things I got myself into in this rebellious kind of way. Like if you told me you, you can't, you've, you've got to be home at 11. I'm coming in at two period. End of story. <laughs> you tell me I can't drink. Well, I'm going to drink. You tell me I can't, I'm going to do the opposite of whatever you say. And I'm going to figure it out so that luckily I, you know, I'm, I'm alive today to talk about it. Um, I, I don't want to come off and sound like I was just, you know, insane, but I was, I was free mm. and I was scared. I was really scared. So I feel like there's this contradiction then between you again, embodying this rebel spirit, this, this powerful spirit that you knew you had, but then also accepting what society around mm-hmm. you had been telling you about, you know, setting your limits a lot mm-hmm. lower than that. When did you realize, or when did the true Liz Hilliard really mm-hmm. begin to emerge and overtake the yeah. one that was listening to other people? That's an interesting question. And uh, the, the true me came out after I had a child. Uh, I was, I, I married an incredible man and, you know, and he did give me all those things. He gave me. So fast forward wh- yeah. about when was oh, this? I got married when I was 26. Okay. And so oh, oh, but before we get there, you know, I went to college, I went to Elon college and uh, a second year pretty much partied my way out. I didn't flunk out of the school, but mm-hmm. there was no longer a reason to spend my mother, my mother's hard earned money. I, she You're was, rebelling pretty hard. I was rebelling pretty hard <laughs> and she didn't have the kind of money to just throw at an education that I was not really being serious about. So, and my father had died when I was 16, which had been a really traumatic thing for our whole family. And we were left with very little money. So I was conscious of that. And so I decided to remove myself from Elon and my mother was like, well, you're going to do something. You're going to get a job. You're going to do something. But instead I, I put myself into central Piedmont community college here in Charlotte. Now I was still living in Concord, but, um, I remember walking on the beach one day with my sister and mother and they were like, you're going to, what are you going to do? Um, so for some reason, just out of the blue, I picked, I'm going to become a dental hygienist. I hear, I hear they make money. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was so random. I knew not, I cared nothing about teeth or any of that, that stuff. That really sounds like it's coming out of left field. That came out of I, left field. I, I can't even imagine what your mother and sister Well, they just went, they uh, okay. But I did do that. And I did go to dental hygiene school. It took two years. I made straight A's and I was like, graduated top of my class, which cracked me up. Wow. I, I lasted wow. less than a year in the profession though. 
But the year I was in it, and Lee's going to go, are you going to tell that story again? I made so much money as a dental hygienist. <laughs> I went on commission. Like I would go to these different dental, like one was a dental office that just was like a bunch of people. I don't know what it's called, a clinic. And I would, I worked on a 50-50 commission. Nobody was doing that. I went to another one. I worked on a 40-60. He got 60, I got 40. Do you don't think I cleaned a lot of teeth fast? Mm. I was seeing people every 30 minutes and I would start at seven in the morning and end at five 30 at night and worked six days a week. And so that's when I learned that I'm, I'm sort of not, I'm, I've got this spirit of like, yeah, but the money making was not big money as you can imagine, but it was money equals freedom. Right. So if I could be on my own, then I went, Oh, okay, let's start to figure out how to make money because then I can be free and do what I want. That's, um, and I also love too, that maybe it's serendipity or whatever else, but you picked this goal seemingly out of thin <laughs> it was out air, of thin air. <laughs> and, and I feel like that rebellious spirit in mm-hmm. you was like, I'm going to do this just to prove everybody else wrong. Yeah, that was it. And that's why I made straight A's. I made straight A's. And, and like you said, up until that point, yeah. you were kind of C student, yeah. you know, mid, middle, middle oh, of the path. I aced the nationals. I aced the state exams. I also dated one of my teachers. <laughs> but you know, it was just, that's when I started feeling myself. I started going, okay, okay, yeah. here we go. What, what can we do with this life? So what happened to the dental career? Uh, it, finally I went, Ooh, I mean, no, <laughs> I just, I was, too many my, yeah, my head was really not it. I'll tell you what really happened. Uh, well, I mean, I just, it, I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. Mm. Um, I was working in a one dental clinic where it was people that could come in for free. And there was some people, I remember seeing a few prostitutes and, and it was no big deal. And then there was people coming in with a lot of issues, diseases and stuff. And, and I remember before AIDS, that was even before AIDS, I was gloved up, masked up, full suit because of the different things that I had my hands into. Sure. And uh, however, the money was good, <laughs> but I did, I, I, I quit that. And then I didn't quit it until after I got married. All right. Right. As I was getting ready to get married, I quit. Okay. So what, all right. Your husband that Mm -hmm. you uh, ended up marrying, his name was Aubrey. Yes. Yes. How did you and Aubrey meet? Oh, it was great. Um, I was set up and did not know it. One of my girlfriends, I had just broken up. I've been engaged. I had been engaged. This would have been my third engagement. So um, (laughs) this was, I had just broken up with the second guy and it was, it was interesting. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going out with anybody ever again. I just need a break from men, period, anybody. So I was going out with a girlfriend. She set me up unbeknownst to me to meet Aubrey. And we went to a bar in Charlotte and it was a really hopping. Everyone went there bar and I spotted him from across the room and he knew he was looking for me. I didn't know this till 20 years later. Is this a bar that's still in existence? No, it was called Whispers. It was back off of Park Road. Anybody, you know, 50 and older would remember this, but it was like where everybody went. I mean, there wasn't that many places anyway, but so we spotted each other and I like, literally had love at first sight. Really? Yes. Hmm. I mean, we met that night and he asked me back out and I was, I couldn't even breathe when I was on the phone. That's how intense this was. We got married eight months later. 
That's wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where were you at in your life at this point? You were I was post- a dental, I was a dental hygienist. I was still doing it. That's right. I was a dental hygienist. I was 25, mm-hmm. 25 years old. And um, actually, I, I, you know, I think I'm wrong. I did do dental hygiene more than a year. I did it a couple of years. It felt like it was about three months, but I think it was more than like a couple of years because then I met him. We got, we met in like around Christmas, we got married in August mm-hmm. and, um, and I immediately quit work immediately. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to. So uh, there was a little bit of that feeling then that you had that again was maybe instilled in you by other people that once you find the husband oh, yeah. and, and I was on scholarship then this is called scholarship. You get up, you fix your husband breakfast, you take the cleaner, <laughs> take the cleaning to the cleaners, you straighten up the house, you call your girlfriends, you go to lunch. I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I planned on. Huh. That didn't last long either, though. Hmm. I got bored super fast. So that's why I had a baby. (laughs) And I'm really glad I did that. So it it seems like the theme that I'm picking up on is that you're not satisfied with Mm -hmm. just what's in front of you, taking it for face value. You need to put some of your own spice into it. Right. Remember, I bought the line hook, line and sinker when I was 17 years old, that that's all I was. Mm -hmm. And so I was living the life of what I thought I was supposed to live. And I was lucky enough to pick the right guy to live it with. I had a great husband, but the life was not for me. This was not for me. Hmm. Before we move on with that, tell me a little bit about Aubrey. Who, who was, oh, he's who great. is he, you know, where was he at when you met? Who oh, is he now today? This is fantastic. Aubrey, um, first time I ever met Aubrey, besides the fact that I fell madly, deeply in love with him the first sight I saw him, was um, I remember going to his house and he was 28 years old and I was 25 or just turned 25. I was 24 or something. And he, he lived in a house with a bridge and it was a really cool bachelor pad kind of thing. He drove two really fast, good cars. I'm a big car girl, but my, my very first car was a TR6. Uh, that's a Triumph. Okay. Anyway, everything I've ever driven my whole life has been just insanely, ridiculously non-conventional and fast. So he had <laughs> fast cars and a house. And I went, wow, this is very cool. And he's awesome looking. So, and we had this like spark and, you know, it was great. Um, what was the question again? Where was I going? (laughs) No, that's fine. Um, I mean, actually kind of got lost listening to you there too, but yeah, no, uh, we're we're really just want to know like who Aubrey is. Oh, Oh, this is a good part though. He was very easy. Now he is an entrepreneur. He had, um, just made his first million dollars in the oil business. He had literally been a partner in drilling an oil well in Texas and hit oil. It sounds like, you know, Jethro Clampett or um, <laughs> Jeb Clampett, but it, it, it really happened. And so he made all this money and we, we got married and on our honeymoon, he got a call that his partner had run off with all the money and he was flat broke. Oh yeah. What? Oh, this was amazing. Yeah. What? How? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just cheated him out of the deal. And, uh, Aubrey is still, I mean, but you know what? I remember going, oh, wow, this, this, this kind of sucks. Wow. So, but you know, he just came back and went after the next thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. Aubrey has landed on his feet more times than any cat in the world. I just, I adore him. And and he's just, he's still to this day in the energy business in another form. He sells natural gas and things like that. But um, he's always been very successful. 
And uh, he didn't let anything daunt him. He taught me a lot about business. That is one of the beauties that I learned from being married to him for so long was how to land on your feet, how to get up out of the dust and do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like y'all had a, a really good relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, every relationship has its, its <laughs> well, things. No, I mean, we were pretty volatile. Uh, we, we had, remember we, we got married. It's sort of, what is the song? We got married in a fever, harder than a pepper sprout. Uh, anyway, I believe that was, uh, anyway, I can't remember who wrote that, but anyway, we got married very hot for each other and our relationship was very hot and very hot and cold. And, uh, but there was an underlying respect we had for each other always. And so we were, we were volatile. We argued a lot and loved a lot and, um, you know, produced an incredible human being, Clary, our daughter, who became my very best friend in the whole world and saved me from, you know, not becoming myself. So yeah, we had a, we had, I would say our, we, we got separated, I think, when Clary was three years old. And I remember throwing him literally out of the house <laughs> and just saying, you know, until you can do X, Y, Z, I don't want to be a part of your life and mm. you're out. And, you know, that sounds so cut and dry and cold when you're just hearing it. But it was, of course, on both sides. We had real issues. And, um, and we got back together because we had a genuine, genuine affinity I mean, I will call it love. I think love comes in so many forms and the affinity we had it for each other was real. It still is. That's never gone away. Um, but I wasn't the type to be caged into a box and neither was he. Hmm. So we just didn't work out for a million reasons that really are our, you know, it's our business and I would never want to say anything out of, out of our own decisions to speak, but well, we'll talk a little bit more about that side of things in the third episode uh, of this three part series. But I do uh, just one last thing kind of want to get your take on, which is that this relationship that you had with Aubrey, it was like you said, intense. It was full of emotions and and good times and and bad times and all that sort of stuff. Um, But everything that happened, even this split that you're talking about seemed to be a very amicable one. What do you think is what allowed the both of you to be able to so fiercely live on your own terms uh, to the point where you'd want to, you know, be married for 37 years, Mm -hmm. uh, but also, still be able to prioritize yourselves? That's a full question, Andy. That's a full question. Hey, that's um, a, we don't, we don't we mess, don't mess around, around on um, studio podcast. First of all, when, um, when I did learn a little bit about me, about the real Liz, the Liz, the whiz, <laughs> um, I, it's after I had a child and I, once you know who you are, there's no going back you can try and try and try and try to hide. And some people hide so badly that badly that they make themselves sick, uh, that they literally make themselves die. I have too much of a will to live. So um, I could not live that way. So therefore we fought, right? Or we came head to head. But the beauty of somebody like Aubrey being married to Aubrey, he understood me. 
I understood him. We went head to head, but we didn't demean each other's reason for doing that. Right. So he didn't demean Liz. He did. That's one thing I can give. I've always said I had the best marriage of anybody I know of because maybe we were married 37 years, but we probably had at least half of those, maybe 20 years of that. It's a very good marriage, meaning we just were respectful of each other and we took care of each other. We made, we made sure we always had each other's back, which we still do. There is nobody in the world more dedicated to me than Aubrey is and me to him. And that's because we understand each other. That doesn't mean you have to do something that neither of you want to to do the rest of your life. Life is not about winning a marathon of doing the respectable in other people's eyes thing that other people think you should be or do. It is about finally actualizing who you actually are, owning that person that you are, and then not only allowing it to evolve, but, but nurturing that, that self. And so when I became, began to nurture that self, I began to move away from him. And that was sad. I cannot tell you how sad that was. And he knows when it happened and I know when it happened and he as well had his things, but I don't speak about Aubrey's things. Those are his to speak about, but mine, when I really started to nurture who I was And that is not in any context, like why I'm with a woman now or any of that sort of thing, but just in, I'm Liz. And that's more than just, um, I don't believe that I'm going to, I don't have any idea that I'll ever be back on this earth again. What am I going to do with these breaths I'm taking right now? Am I going to waste my time? No, I'm going to, I'm going to go and be me. And sometimes that's very destructive to other people. What was the moment that you realized that you were growing away from Aubrey? Um, probably two months into the, no, I mean, growing away, probably when I started, I would say right after, I don't want to, I don't want to go into a timeline because I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But when I started really having my own business, not just Hilliard Studio Method, even back when I was, when I did become a model and I was successful, fairly successful regionally, um, I even realized then, you know, I really like doing the things that are not necessarily helping us become, be a couple. You know, when you start putting your energy into something that is not a marriage, the marriage starts to dwindle. And I am guilty of that. You know, and again, I would let Aubrey speak to himself. He's guilty in his own way. We all are, but we, I think we all in some ways compromise ourselves too much. I think in a good relationship, a good marriage, there is a compromise that is healthy. And there's also compromises that are very, very unhealthy. And when you choose to do just the healthy compromise, but then you see that you can't even pull that off completely, you need to rethink the marriage. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Clary for a moment. Yeah, let's do. You said that, (laughs) you said that part of the reason, or or it seems like that, that uh, Clary came about was because you seem to want a new challenge. Oh no, it, it wasn't even a new challenge. It's so funny. I mean, when I married Aubrey, I, he wanted a bunch of kids and I didn't want any. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll find out a way if I, I'll have a baby maybe. And then I was like, no, I don't want to have children. No, don't want to have children. And then I kid you not, 
I woke up one morning and I, I just had a knowing. I said, I am going to have a baby and I want to do it now. I literally probably got pregnant within that week Wow! because I had a baby within a year. I was so excited too. I mean, every, every moment of it, I prayed very hard about it too. I was very, you know, bring me this soul, this incredible soul that I know is there that I know that I will, I will have a relationship with that will be just an incredible relationship. I, I prayed for her and I got her and, uh, and she's just been a, a, just a light in my life and in Aubrey's life, both of us. And so when I say she saved me, she kind of did. She, when you have a baby, um, you can't not be yourself. You're, you're, you want that child to have everything and you give yourself to them. And so I wasn't going to give her some shell of a self. I gave her me. And, uh, that's how that's, I'm sure that's been a challenge in the last couple of years for her, but I gave her my love and that's all you really have to give them. And so that was great. You mentioned that you called Claire, your best friend earlier mm -hmm. in the conversation. What is it like to be a parent and then get to the point where your child is grown enough, mature enough, and their own person enough for you to be more friends than a parent and a mm -hmm. child? Well, I think, um, I think that's a good question and difficult for many people. I had only one. Um, first of all, I really liked her. I really believed that I, I asked God to bring me this child and this child came to me and to Aubrey. And so when she was born, she was, you know, a baby and all the baby things, that's kind of hard. But as she grew into a little person and a little toddler and then a little girl and then a teenager and then an adult, she was just easy because I liked her. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to insinuate that some people don't like their children. She was easy for me. I didn't have to discipline her her a lot because we understood each other. Um, when I did discipline her, I was quite a disciplinarian. I was not, a, she's not a spoiled child at all. I mean, when she got the, she got the spank. I mean, I, I did the physical spank back in the day, you know, but I did a lot of it. And, um, so she's my best friend or, and was at this little child age because we understood each other. And I remember having com full conversations with her and sometimes she, she would just know when I needed just her little hands to be on my shoulders or to sit in my lap or, uh, you know, and, and, you know, when she did something wrong, I, she got in trouble, but I, she, I, yeah, I remember she finally, she went to college and I remember just being devastated and Aubrey mm. just kind of laughed at me. He goes, <laughs> you know, the whole time we've been bringing this child up, our goal is for her to go right away and be successful. I'm like, I know, but she's leaving me. And I mean, it was just funny. We both laughed about it, but that's, that's when I went off and became, uh, went to Canada and lived there. Not, did not make Aubrey happy at that point for like three months and became uh, fully certified in Pilates. I just went, now I'm going to do what I'm going to do. My girl is going to do what she needs to do and I'm going to go do what I need to do. So again, this, this drive to fulfill your own, uh, passions in life made, you know, made for a really tangible change in your lifestyle at that point, it sounds like. Um, so let's, let's, let's move in that direction. When did Hilliard studio method or the idea mm. of owning a fitness studio, when did that appear to you? Okay. That's fascinating. Cause it was never on the, on, on the horizon. You know, I love the fact that some people can plan their lives out. I feel my life out. I went to Canada 
And I really immersed myself into this physical thing where I learned every muscle and how it works and every, why our body is so mechanically beautiful and how it works beautifully and how it can work badly. So I immersed myself into knowing everything I could about the human body, came out with a vast amount of knowledge and decided that I wanted to just be one-on-one with people and personally train. And I was very fully certified at that time, which is a big, it's a nice certification to have. And I did that supremely. I did it. I know that I was as good as anybody else, better than anybody. I just knew how much I cared about it. Well, I attracted some great clients and they were always the one-on-one clients. I never had a studio dream. I literally had a studio first in Aubrey's office and then in my own home. And then, um, one day it needed to change. And part of the impetus, again, we'll go back to Clary. She wanted to get in great shape for her wedding. But at the same time, I was old. I was like 40, and it was, I guess it was 49, 50, something like that. And so I was getting ready to go through menopause and I needed a change. And so she, so anyway, without going to the full details, you can read the book about it, but full details, I did real good thorough research on what makes a body strong, resilient and age, not age less, but age well. And what is the most efficient way to do that? And I found that resistance training, that stretch, the Pilates, that yoga, that Tai Chi, meaning the martial arts. So I wanted, how are you going to combine all that? I I haven't got four hours a day to work out, right? So I've got to combine this. Oh, and by the way, you got to get your cardiovascular work, right? Keep your heart strong. So I developed a method by going to bar classes. For instance, I'll I'll give a shout out to 57 was one of the first bar classes I went to. And I thought they were just fantastic. That was just a goal. Like, gosh, maybe they'll come to Charlotte. But then I realized, no, 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 no. There's something missing there too. What is that? What is that there's missing? And so I, I added a little bit more, um, a little bit more Pilates, a little bit more me, a little bit more. And by the way, I forgot to mention, after I got out of Pilates school, I immediately went outside that box and started adding more resistance on my own to my Pilates work. So then I'm going and I'm creating, which I didn't know I was creating Hilliard City Method. I was creating a workout for Clary and for me and for one other client who wanted to jump in there too, to change our bodies. Clary needed to change her body for her wedding in her mind, not in my mind. She wanted to change it. And so she wanted to drop inches. Well, within six weeks, I'm sorry, six months, she was pretty much two sizes down. Within the year, she was... Oh my gosh. I don't know. She went at least two sizes down. She, she changed a lot. Uh, the other girl dropped actual weight, real weight and dropped her sizes. Me, I was in great shape. I was a Pilates instructor. I was the right weight I should be. My muscle tone was being becoming diminished because of menopause or I was going into menopause. And this rebooted my body and I became more sculpted and strong, real strong. Like I used to be strong. Like I was in high school, college and sculpted. And the very first thing I noticed when I started doing the method, the way we do it today was I added more resistance, meaning I added heavier weights and 
and made it harder to do. Like it's harder to pick up an eight pound weight than a three pound weight. If you pick up an eight pound weight instead of a three pound weight and you do a squat with it, or you do some, some compound movement with it, you're going to get more bang for your buck, not only on the bicep curl you're doing, but also the glute and all those other things. So I found that I got a quicker, better workout and my I dropped a size and I didn't even need to. And, but mine was good size. It was not like, it was not anything but uh, the fat. I mean, I became very muscular and I'm again going through menopause. You're supposed to lose muscle. You're supposed to gain belly fat. I flattened my tummy. I sculpted my arms and legs. My back felt stronger and straighter. And I went, okay, this works. And my client said, you need to get a group of us in here. I'm like, I can't get more than three people in my studio. And they went, well, go find us place. Cause we all want to come. And that, so again, I, I went to, I went to a place called Mars Park Baptist Church, Cornwall Center. I rented out their spot. I had people holding onto stationary bikes to do bar work. I had people literally picking up whatever was in the room. I didn't have any equipment. We picked up whatever was in the room and we made it hard and in resistance and we did it strongly for an hour. And that's the beginning. So Liz, that's where you started with Hilliard Studio Method. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward to the present. Mm -hmm. What is Hilliard Studio Method today? Today, it is a lifestyle. Today, this studio is more than just a workout, which it always was. It's a community of women and men supporting each other. Um, I am very honored to be the, the owner and head of that group of people that get together every single day. We start early in the morning and we end at night and we not only work out together, we, we, we support each other as a community, whether we're going through tough times, good times as a studio, we are still in one location. We have, um, expanded virtually through our Zoom classes, which now we just have maybe 13 or 14 people in our classrooms. And we, but we also have on screen anywhere up to 40, 50 people, right? We also have a streaming service, which is, it's two, it's four different price points. You can do three different price points. Our streaming service is a service that is pre-recorded that we're $19 a month that you can do any workout, anytime, 10,000 minutes of different workout from everybody type, every fitness level for $19 a month. Or you can come into the studio or work outside for our normal packages, basically $27 a class or on Zoom for about $15 a class. So we're there for everybody. And the beauty of not expanding physically I'm not going to say I'm never going to do that, but I've almost done it a lot of times. And I'm glad sitting here in 2020 that I'm still in that same place and that I can reach people all over the world. And we do, we have clients all over the world that do our workout live with us or do it virtually on our streaming service. Well, and you also have a pretty cool podcast. <laughs> Thank you, let's, Andy. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Thank you. It's really, it, this has been a lifesaver for, for me and Lee to do this. And as you said in the beginning, we were going to do this in a different way. And then coronavirus hit mm -hmm. and we jumped right in. Well, you've proven, Liz, throughout your life that you're able to handle unexpected uh, changes in your lifestyle, uh, no matter where they come from. And you're able to do it in a way that's true to yourself. And that's something that I've always appreciated about you and your business. Um, and I'm thankful for that. 
Thank you. I'm thankful for it too. And I'm thankful for everybody that continues to support us. And I want them to always know we are, we're right here with our hand on their back too. Well, we are going to stop there with your story, but we're going to pick up with how you and Lee Canelli began your relationship in one of the next episodes here in this three-part series. This next episode that's going to be coming up is going to be all about Lee. We're going to talk to her about pretty much all the same sort of things uh, that happened in her life and how she came to be and how uh, she came to be at Hilliard Studio Method. And then in our third episode, we'll sit both of you down and really dig into the details about your relationship, where the business how, where the business is now, and what you have looking forward to in the future. All right. Thanks so much, Andy. This, this is, I think this has been a pleasure. I, I've, I, when we sat down, I thought, I've never really talked just about myself. So I hope that lends some uh, light to where we are today. But thank you for doing this. It was fun. It absolutely. uh, Yeah, definitely fun. And it's absolutely something that lends a lot of light. And I hope your listeners really enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hilliard Studio Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to the Hilliard Studio Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and a review so that others can find out about us. Don't forget to tell your friends to listen to the podcast too. We're going to keep providing you with great HSM content, including at-home workouts, healthy tips for you and your family, as well as candid conversations with Lee and Liz. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hilliard Studio Method for all the latest HSM news, book classes, stream workouts, buy gear, and much more at our website, hilliardstudiomethod.com. That's it for now. We'll talk to you next week.